Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Shmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Kurt Leviant. Kurt has worked as a professor of Hebrew and Yiddish at Rutgers University. He's also an accomplished novelist and translator. Welcome, Kurt. Thank you. Aleichem Shalom. I'm back at you. Um, I've been really hoping for this conversation for quite some time. Um, you know, whenever I have a chance to visit with you off air, as it were, um, the conversations are really always very fun, very informative, and leave me wanting to ask you so many questions. So today is the opportunity for me to do that, um, which I'm looking forward to. So let me jump right in. Um, let's For our listeners, let's start if, with your Yiddish roots. Um, so share a little bit about how you connected with Yiddish language, reading, etc. My Russian-born parents spoke Yiddish, Russian, and German, but Yiddish was the prevalent language which I grew up with. Russian was over my head, but uh, later <laughs> in dealing with translating Sholem Aleichem, uh, I had to get into the Slavic roots. So I took a couple of courses in Russian, which enabled me to, to dig out some of the Russian from the Yiddish and uh, always with my parents' help, I was able to get those Slavic Yiddish words into my vocabulary. So um, I'm quite fluent in uh, speaking, reading, and writing Yiddish. And if I can urge out of you the story of you as a young child um, reading in bed? Well, <laughs> reading in bed, I was, <laughs> that, that's a cute little story. My, my father gave me my uh, first Yiddish book, a collection of Shalom Aleichem stories, and I would read and uh, laugh. And uh, the next morning he would say to, a mother, to my mother, er liegt in bed der ganze Nacht und lacht. He lies in bed all night long and laughs. So that was my first, uh, first intimate encounter with, uh, with Shalom Aleichem uh, and his laughter, which I tried to convey when I did my Yiddish translations. Um, and I would imagine that you would have related to him very well. I'll get back to your sense of humor later in our conversation. What? <laughs> what sense of humor? <laughs> Why are you bringing abstract objects into this conversation? Yeah, continue, please. It's okay, because all our conversations are like having playing a game of ping pong, which is why I so look forward to the conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I, you know I like to play without a net. <laughs> well, you know, what can I say? Um, yeah. But seriously, um, I would love to sort of know how you've, and if I may use the word, fell into um, your work translating from the Yiddish? Well, that, that was the, re the reading. In the reading, I was unwittingly translating. As, as, the, as the text ran before me from right to left, my left side of my brain was reading it from left to right. So I was inserting even subconsciously the translations of uh, what I was reading. It took a while, but after a while, I started jotting it down, and then I sent it around. And then you got some traction. Um, 
it seems as though, um, you know, again, I use the word fell into it. I mean, you didn't start out in after school and college. I don't imagine thinking that you were going to pursue translation professionally, did you? Uh, even in college already, I had, uh, I was taking courses in Hebrew. I'm fluent in Hebrew as well. And um, in college, I was already translating um, the great Hebrew writer who won the Nobel Prize, the only Israeli, only Hebrew author, Shmuel Yosef Shai Agnon. So I was already translating and had in college already published um, translations of um, of Agnon's stories. So it's interestingly enough, although I, uh, most of my work in translation is in Yiddish, uh, I do have some uh, translations from modern Hebrew literature as well. And it was an interesting time, I think, when you started out with translation in terms of, I'm kind of fascinated by the number of you know, major publishing houses in, in the U.S. that were bringing out work that had been written in Yiddish. Uh, and I'd love to ask if you could reflect a little bit about... Well, you know, there, 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 was, uh, there was Putnam's, there was uh, Yoselov, there was Crown. Uh, these three uh, come to mind because I know they were publishers of um, the, the first Shalom Aleichem uh, translations, the um, Tevye's Daughters, and um, I think Old Country Tales, translated by Francis Butlin. So you had major, major publishers um, not uh, being afraid of publishing translations from Yiddish. And at the same time, there were many, many magazines. I mean, now we think of a commentary and forward in a slightly abridged form. But uh, some decades ago, there was the Jewish Frontier and the Jewish Spectator and the Reconstructionist magazine. There were quite a number where you could uh, publish short stories in magazine style. And then later, of course, if you got the invitation uh, to put it together into a book form. And who do you think were the readers and what do you think prompted the support of this from these publishing houses? I would imagine that most of the readers were American Jews who may have had a slight inkling and tinkling of, of Yiddish uh, in their childhood and uh, were not that uh, conversant with reading it in the original. I presume it was mostly a, um, a Jewish audience, although there may have been quite a number of fans uh, of once Shalom Lechem became famous uh, in America, thanks to Fiddler on the Roof, that there were also non-Jews. Do you think that the work also was received as a world literature, or did it... Oh, absolutely. It, it was. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Shalom Lechem uh, has appeared in dozens of languages, even some of the Far Eastern languages in Chinese and Japanese because of the human, general human approach to people, uh, not necessarily narrowing in on Jewish traditions, but uh, having one human being interact with another with great humor. And I think that's the, that's the secret of uh, Shalom Aleichem's access uh, to other cultures. 
I mean, and there were certainly other Yiddish writers, Sholem Ash, Chaim Grada. Yes, Sholem Ash is a wonderful singer. writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you um, mentioned Chaim Grada. I, 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 I'm very familiar with him. Yes. I translated his four of his works. I got to know him very, very well. First, he, he was a kind of an uncle figure to me, and then we became very, very close. And uh, he would call me Kurt in his gravelly voice, and I called him Chaim. And um, we we liked each other. I went to visit him in the Bronx, even though I was not translating, and he took the long trip from the Bronx by subway to Penn Station or to the Port Authority bus terminal, and it took the other hour to come to visit me, and especially when my parents were visiting. He loved my parents, loved to talk Yiddish with them. So we had a very, very warm relationship, and uh, we were uh, able to get four of his works into uh, into American publishing houses. You mentioned your parents, and that's a question I've always wanted to ask you. What did mm. they make of your work in translation? They hated it. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, there you go. They you always catch that they by fall for you every time, Kurt. <laughs> go ahead. They, they were so proud. My God, they were so proud that that uh, you know, amongst their friends, to to show off to show off my books. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I in each book, uh, I would thank them for helping me with rare Yiddish words, especially of of Slavic origin. So they were very, very delighted with my work. And uh, and that sort of segued into my own fiction, although I had short stories published. Um, my first novel, The Yemenite Girl, actually came about as, uh, as a result of having published Chaim Grade with Bob's Merrill, whose editor was a Jewish guy named Gene Rachlis. And then once we had a success with Chaim Grade's first book, um, I asked him if he'd be interested in looking at my first novel, my first to be novel, The Yemenite Girl, which already had a great blurb from Saul Bellow with our Yiddish, common Yiddish links. And uh, that was how my first novel got published, also to the great delight of, uh, of my parents. And when it won the Wallant Award for first best first fiction of the year, um, they delightedly accompanied me and my wife Erica and our kids to Connecticut for the award ceremony. So they were very deeply involved with my work. And I mean, you're you are a great storyteller at heart. I think my introduction to you was actually through your English language novels, not through the translation, mm-hmm. although I've mm-hmm. read your work in translation, which is wonderful. Um, and I think that this, that your career in translation, as it were, has been sort of a storied one, I guess no pun intended, but it's put you in touch with a lot of interesting writers. Um, certainly, uh, it puts you into the milieu of the Yiddish writers um, in the middle of the 20th century um, at a time when this was, you know, probably lessening in terms of uh, the field of Yiddish writers who were in the States um, and still still writing. Um, what was it like? Um, what When you reflect back on this, do you see it as a, a, a you well, know, a moment in time? 
Let me tell you, there are only two great living Yiddish writers that I got to know personally. Well, that was Chaim Grada and uh, Isaac Bashev, a singer. But I did not translate Isaac Bashev, a singer, until after his death, when Farrar Strauss, his longtime publisher, turned to me <clears throat> to ask if I would be interested in translating um, his memoir, More Stories for My Father's Court. My tat is based in Stiebel, and I said, sure, I'd be, I'd be delighted. And so uh, I was able to get three of the great 20th century Yiddish writers into my translation oeuvre. Shalom Aleichem, Chaim Grade, and Isaac Bashevis Singer. But I want to backtrack a bit because you talked about Yiddish and it's sort of the ripple effect. My, my first contact with Saul Bellow was when I was doing graduate work at the Columbia University in Yiddish and comparative literature. Saul Bellow came to give a lecture and I knew he spoke Yiddish. That was his first language. And after his lecture, I approached him. I started schmoozing with him. And I said, uh, I've just translated a work by Shalom Aleichem. I'd love to send it to you. He says, of course. And um, I sent it to him at, when he was at the University of Chicago and the Committee of Social Thought. And he wrote back a lovely letter to me, thanking me, praising my work. And then when my first, when I had written the manuscript of what would be my first novel, I wrote back to him some years later, and I said, uh, dear Mr. Bellow, remember I gave you my Shamalechem book, would you like, and I've done my own fiction. May I send you my draft? He said, absolutely. Within a week, he wrote back saying, I enjoyed every turn of the story, beautifully done, thanks. And if you wish, I can connect you with my agent who will help you with publication. Now, isn't that a great link between Yiddish and creative writing. And years later, I got to know him and uh, we would exchange visits in Vermont where he had a home and we took, uh, we rented summer cottages up in the mountains of Vermont and we exchanged visits. And by then it was Kurt and Saul and not uh, Mr. Levy and Mr. Bellow. Um, you know, it's interesting, Kurt. I talk to a lot of the translators um, who we work with here through White Oak Press, our imprint, also our translation fellows and others who are working to bring new works out in translation. And frequently we'll ask them the question about how hard is it to translate somebody who you can't work with? But you had the experience of being able to be the translator for Grada and to actually have that collaboration, which is unique now uh, for most. What was that like? Actually, I had a collaboration with, with Shalom Aleichem, even though he died uh, many years before I was born. But um, that was a kind of a metaphysical link. With Grade, let me give you, you want to hear a story? Yes. Okay. I, I thought you would say yes, but I, you know, who knows? But in any case, here's the story. I had successfully translated the Aguna, uh, which is a novel about a woman who is chained, that's the word Aguna, chained to her marriage, even though she has been um, separated from her husband, 
perhaps by death, the husband dying on the battlefield, but since no positive proof of his death has been established, he cannot, she cannot remarry. That's called the chained woman and Aguna. Um, so, but even after I successfully did the translation, when it came to his great novel, The Yeshiva, about um, teachers and students in Lithuania sitting at their yeshivas and seeing what sort of, what sort of adventures um, take place, especially amongst the teachers, he said, Kurt, he said, I have to give you a test. I said, what is that? He said, well, I want you to do the first page of the yeshiva. I said, why? He said, because I had years ago, before I knew you, I had given those first few pages to somebody. And on the first page where the phrase emuna belief and then shin lamed memhe, which can be read both as shlomo, the king Solomon, or shlema, full, complete. He said, the man translated it not as the yeshiva teacher who believed in God with full faith, Amunashlema, but he translated it with the faith of Solomon. He said, that already showed me that the man doesn't know Hebrew and doesn't know Yiddishkeit. He says, it says if you don't mind, would you please translate that first page? So I translated the first page uh, and I translated that passage as incorrectly as the faith of Solomon. And I sent it back to Chaim with an envelope and a sealed envelope and a letter saying, here is my page. I said, after you read it, please do not open the envelope until you call me. <laughs> Fine. I got a call from him. I said, no, Reb Chaim, this was still Reb Chaim, not just Chaim. Was means too, what do you think? He says, Kurt, this is Zayel Shane, very nice. But this is, you know, you made the same mistake as that other translator. Instead of saying complete faith or, or, or absolute faith, you wrote faith of Solomon. I said, Chaim, did you open up the letter? The envelope? He says, what's my answer? What do you think about it? She says, how could I open up the envelope? You wrote me in a letter not to open the envelope until I talk to you. I says, good. I says, open it now. He opens the letter, of course, in which I had the actual translation. <laughs> and he starts growling with his laughter. He says, du bandit, you rascal, you bandit, you really put one over on me. So we see we had a very loving, loving, warm and uh, and generous relationship one with the other. Ah. Um, and I mentioned earlier that you also write your own fiction, um, which is wonderful. You do the translation. And is it wonderful that I write my fiction yeah. or is the fiction wonderful? It's both. Of course, it's both, Kurt. Of course. I'm glad, I'm glad you <laughs> yes. took both sides of that wonderful. Good. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, Go ahead. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you this as my last question. I um 
I stumbled upon a quote by Lewis Freed that reads, Levian's fiction is nuanced, surprising, and often arabesque, dealing with the demands of the present and the claims of the past. And I'd ask you to comment on that because I think that there's so many aspects of you that thread through that then are realized in your work, both in translation and your own writing in terms of drawing from past and present, et cetera. I think it's just a really interesting observation about who you are. I, I, I don't, where did you find this? I don't, I don't know this. It's on the World Wide Web. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. I'm surprised he used the word arabesque. I'm more like Jewish-esque rather than arabesque. But, uh, <laughs> whatever. If that's his choice of words, that would be very nice. Um, well, let me tell you that um, in order to be a good translator, I think you have to be a good writer, although that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. And in order to be um, a good writer, you have to be a good translator. So the two things sort of sort of are intertwined. But uh, if you're a creative writer, your, your imagination goes far afield. You, you invent stories. Um, you are influenced by, uh, even subtly, by other writers. You hear stories that are told by friends. So there's a great combination. And um, if you're in the schwung or the swing, of translating, then you fall into the certain rhythms of the writer whom you're translating. And if you're creating your own fiction, you create your own nuanced rhythms. And so that's what I try to do uh, with my work. I think I should mention that quite a number of my novels have been translated and that was a great joy to see my own work translated uh, rather than me writing and translating somebody else's work. Um, I had a, one of my novels was, a, was an international bestseller. It was called Diary, which is not really a diary, but it's a story, Diary of an Adulterous Woman. That made a hit in Europe and it was translated into French, Spanish, Italian, Polish, German, Greek, Romanian and Bulgarian. And the reviews were astounding. And because the, uh, the diary was first published in French and it got terrific reviews, the public, the editor, whom I'm still in contact with, Sammy Brussel, a Hebrew speaking uh, guy from ex from Israel, ex from Tunisia, now in Paris. And he took on, I, I submitted to him, uh, another novel called Kafka's Son, which he took on, had it translated, published first in France, got the most amazing reviews that a writer could dream of. I couldn't even have invented reviews like that. And then in back in America, I had sent it to 110 American publishers before the 111th, 111, Dzanc, D-Z-A-N-C published it. So you see, there's so many vagaries in mm. publishing. You can have an international success on one side of the ocean, and you have to struggle and struggle and struggle, but with determination, keep on struggling until you, until you win. 
But I think that's who you are, Kurt. Um, you're so curious. You're so observant of life that it just it seems like you're going to write and translate in spite of everything um, with great success, which um, is exciting. Um, and I guess I will ask you one last question. I, I'm lying. Um, you know, it's interesting what Yiddish has done to you know, kind of infuse itself in your life and your families, I think. Um, and you might not have expected that. And do you want to reflect a little bit about well, that? Well, first of all, if you say family's life, just let me tell you that everybody around me, um, all my children, three daughters, all know Yiddish and Hebrew mm -hmm. from the house. And a couple of them actually took it in the same department that I did at Columbia, not, of course, not with the same professor, but uh, mm -hmm. with this, with that professor's Uriel Weinreich of blessed memory, his successors at the Department of Yiddish at Columbia University. And, um, and all the grandchildren know and have studied Hebrew in Jewish schools and gotten private Yiddish lessons from me. So uh, almost every single one of them I could sit with, with an original Shalom Aleichem text, and we can read it together. So that's, 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 I consider an even greater accomplishment than getting a novel published. Yeah. And having had dinner with you and the family and your granddaughter, what was it? It's almost two years ago now. Um, mm -hmm. It was such a lovely evening and so amazing to see that that connection. Um, it's just, it's, it's very special. Um, and it's really wonderful that it's got that continuity. Mm -hmm. Continuity, perfectly said. Um, so thank you, Kurt. Uh, I hope you'll keep writing, translating. I uh, hope to get together with you soon. Um, and again, thank you personally for your playful sense of humor, which always reminds me of my dad. Um, <laughs> I'm, a I'm a talking to you. It was lovely to speak to you. All right. Be well and come and visit us again soon. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.